When the trail grows fainter and your path uncertain, climb on. When the rocks become sharper and tear at your feet, climb on. When rain clouds threaten and the fierce winds howl, climb on. When the air grows thin and each breath takes more effort, climb on. When the crowds turn back and the path becomes lonely, Climb on, when your faith is pushed to its ultimate limit. Climb on. That's right, my friend. Climb on. A reward awaits for all those who refuse to give up. For all those who reach the summit. Life trails. Take the next step. certain desires that we have that I believe we're just born with. For instance, the desire to be loved. We all have that. And we're born with that. The desire to find meaning in life and to feel like we have significance. And I think another desire that we are born with is simply this, the desire to succeed. I think we all, inside of us, we want to be successful because we are created that way. I believe that God put that in us a desire to succeed. Remember way back in the garden when he gave uh, man, gave woman their, what we call the cultural mandate. He said, be fruitful and multiply, but, but fill the earth and subdue it. And there was that element where you're going to face the challenge of taming this wild world that, you, that you're in. And as you tame it, you're going to enjoy the satisfaction that comes with overcoming it. That comes with taving it. And so you can meet the challenge and then you can savor that challenge and you can enjoy that success. And I believe that that's something that we're made of and we've all experienced that. You know, we all want to pass the test, right? We, we all want to nail the interview. We all want to make the sale. We want to get the girl. We want to win the fantasy football league. I don't know, whatever it is. But we have that desire in us to succeed. We have the desire to summit the mountain. And isn't this the picture that we get of success in our lives? Standing on the mountain going, yeah, buddy, I did that. But that is something that God put inside of us. But what if I asked you this morning, for any endeavor in life, what are the keys to success? What would you say? Let's say, hey, let's give me five. What are five things that you have to do if you're going to be successful? And you can start to tick them off in your mind. They probably land in some of these categories. You might say, well, you have to work hard. And you really got to give it all that you've got. Maybe you're thinking, you know, it's, it's about character and it's about integrity. Or maybe you're like, you know, one of the keys to success is your people skills. You've got to be able to connect with people. You've got to be able to network. And because you can't do it on your own, no man's an island. We know that, that little cliche there. And we're like, no, that's one of the keys. Or, or maybe it's uh, your key to success would be, you know, it's really like coming up with your plan. You've got to have a plan and you've got to work your plan. And that's a key to success. And then maybe, you know, since we're all sitting in church here, we throw out there for number five. Well, you know, God has to be part of it somehow. And so, you know, pray about it, and maybe God will give you success. But keeping that last thought in mind there, 
if God's going to give us success, what would that look like? And does God actually even care if we're successful? Well, the answer to that question, I believe, is a resounding yes, absolutely. He does care with whether or not we're successful. And this, uh, this desire that we have for success is a shared desire, not just with the person sitting next to you in the room, but it's a shared desire that God has with us. He wants us to do well. I don't think God created us to say, well, let's see how long it takes for him to mess up. Let's figure that one. You know, let's, let's see if we can really make it hard from this week, okay? You know, it was too easy last week. Let's, let's, let's all, like, angels gather around. This is going to be good, okay? We're really going to trip this guy up this time. That's not God. God wants us to have success. He wants us to have success as individuals. He wants us to have success as a church. He wants us to have success as his people. And we could trace that all the way back into the Old Testament where God wanted his people to be successful. So today we're going to look at a story that suggests actually five ways that you can be successful, how you can stand on your mountain. But this is all from God's perspective. And that story will lead us to a mountain. And actually it's going to lead us to two mountains. And this is a mountain, the, the main one we're talking about today, which is a part of three distinct stories in the Bible. They're not related, but they show up in three different places, two in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. We're going to talk about the one in the New Testament because Jesus actually refers to this mountain, not by name, but by pointing, as it were. But we're going to look at a story that shows up uh, in, in Joshua 8 is where we're going to end up this morning. But it starts in Deuteronomy chapter 11, and then it actually continues in Deuteronomy chapter 27, and then it finishes in, in, in Joshua 8. And we need all three parts of this story for it to make sense to us today. And so we're going to dive into quite a bit of scripture here. So if you've got a Bible, you might want to grab that. It might even be easier to use a Bible this morning. I don't know. But we're going to start in Deuteronomy 11. We're going to go to Deuteronomy 27. And we're going to go to Joshua chapter 8. But Deuteronomy 11 is where God announces an event that's about to take place. In Deuteronomy 27... We get more details about the event, and then Joshua chapter 8 is when it actually happens. And so you kind of have a feel for, for the progression that we're going to take here. But all three parts of this story communicate how God wanted and how God wants his people to be successful. So let's look what that looks like. Starting in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse number 26. Deuteronomy eleven twenty six. Moses is speaking, but he's speaking for God when he says this. See, I am setting before you a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you today. The curse if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn away from the command that I give you today by following other gods which you have not known. And so let me just stop right there and give us some context for what Moses is saying here. We're in the book of Deuteronomy, and so Moses is talking to a group of people that are about to enter the promised land. But they're related to a group of people who never entered the promised land because they failed to follow God's commands. And as we go back into our uh, series here on the summit, we took one of our stops at Mount Sinai. And those were the Israelites. They came out of Egypt. They came to Mount Sinai, and God said, I got a deal for you. I want to make a covenant with you. I'll be your God, and I'll bless you and, and look out for you and, and make you this incredible nation. The deal is, though, that you need to follow me and make me your God. And so that's our covenant here. Well, that group of people committed to it, 
but didn't follow through on it very well. And so they eventually all died wandering in the wilderness, and now 40 years later, we see Moses still standing here, but with a new group of people. It's all the kids and grandkids of all the people who died. And now, once again, Moses said, hey, how about now? Do you want to go into the promised land now? And they're like, yes. And this is God coming back to the people and saying, okay, that covenant back then, it still holds if you're good with it. And so this is what Moses is doing here. He's repeating a lot of the commands that were given and saying, hey, this is it. This is the command that God gave way back then. We're reissuing it to you as this next generation. We keep reading in verse number 29, when the Lord your God has brought you into the land you are entering to possess, you are to proclaim on, and here's our mountain for today, you are to proclaim on Mount Gerizim the blessings and on Mount Ebal the curses. As you know, these mountains are across the Jordan westward toward the setting sun. They're the great trees of Morah in the territory of those Canaanites living in the Arab and the vicinity of Gilgal. You are about to cross the Jordan to enter and take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you. That's a key phrase in this whole story. The land that the Lord your God is giving you. And when you have taken it over and are living there, be sure that you obey all the decrees and laws I am setting before you. And so what God is saying here is like, okay, the first part of this, I'm setting before you a blessing and a curse. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But the second thing is when you get into the land... You're going to march up to these two mountains, Gerizim and Ebel, and you're going to go through this little ceremony of pronouncing the blessings and the curses. And I wonder if the people listening to that thought, I have no idea what he's talking about. That sounds interesting. And he moves on. And there's not a whole lot of detail given here until 16 chapters later, Moses comes back to it. And that's in Deuteronomy chapter 27. So I invite you to turn with me there. And Moses is going to start to flesh out what's going to happen in this ceremony. Verse number one. Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people, keep all these commands that I give you today when you have crossed the Jordan, and notice this phrase is here again, into the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Set up some large stones and coat them with plaster. Write on them all the words of this law when you have crossed over to enter the land your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. And when you have crossed the Jordan, set up these stones on Mount Ebal, as I have commanded you today, and coat them with plaster. So now, more instructions. You're going to walk across here. Uh, you're, you're going to walk into this promised land. You're going to hike up to where these mountains are. And when you get to Gerizim and Ebal on Mount Ebal, you're going to take these stones, and they evidently were massive stones, and archaeology has found um, examples of this type of things done in the past. But take these stones and then you're going to plaster them or whitewash them. And you're going to actually write the law on them. And we don't know exactly what that meant. It was just the Ten Commandments. Uh, by this time there were 613 commands that had been given. Were all of them written? Because if so, Joshua spent a long time writing out all those commands when they got there. But this is the command you're going to put these commands on these huge rocks at the bottom of this mountain. And then he goes on. He says, then, verse number 5, build an altar there to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. Do not use any iron tool on them. Build the altar of the Lord with your field stones and offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. And then sacrifice fellowship offerings there, eating them and rejoicing in the presence of the Lord your God. 
And so you're going to build in, first of all, build these big stones, put the commands on that. Secondly, build an altar. And on the altar, you're going to offer two different uh, sacrifices here. The burnt offering, which was the sacrifice for sin. And then also the, the, um, the other offering here, uh, the fellowship offering, which was a gratitude offering. And so that was a way that the people said thank you. The first one was required, the second one was too, but it was a more of a, a voluntary type thing. And then write very clearly all the words of the law on these stones you set up. So part one, set up the stones. Part two, build an altar. And then part three is where, to me, it gets really interesting. If you look down to verse number 11. On that same day, Moses commanded the people to do this. When you have crossed the Jordan, these tribes shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people. The tribe of Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. You all go stand on Gerizim. And these tribes shall stand on Ebal to pronounce the curses. Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. So when you get there, you're going to go to these two mountains. And half of you are going to stand on Ebal. And half of you are going to stand on Gerizim. And then we're going to pronounce these blessings and these curses. Let's look at a map here. If you can throw that up there to give you an idea. And sorry, this isn't the greatest map, but I do have a pointer. It's going to try to help us out here, I think, if I turn it on. There we go. You can see this little line. This is what's happening here. So if we get right down here in the uh, wood, this is the, the, the Dead Sea. And when the Israelites came into the Promised Land, they crossed the Jordan River, which is this valley right here. They crossed the Jordan River, and they came in from the east rather than from the south, where they came out of Egypt, way down here somewhere. But they came in from the east, and the first place they came to was Jericho. There was a battle there at Jericho, and if you're familiar with it, the walls came tumbling down. From Jericho, they went to the next town, which was Ai, and there's actually two battles that took place there. One of which they lost, and one of which they won, the second one they won. And after these two battles then, what they were to do is they march up here, and this is about a 30-mile march up this green line, to these two mountains here, Ebal and Shechem, and that's where they are to perform this ceremony. I'll give you a picture here of the mountains today, because obviously every mountain that we're talking about still exists today. On the mount here, or on the left here is Mount Gerizim, on the right was Mount Ebal. And why these mountains were chosen, we're not exactly sure, but they were like dead center in the promised land. So this was as central as you can get in the land that they were going to be taking. Also, because of their heights, you could get up on top of these mountain peaks then and look around, and you could pretty much see all of what the, uh, the territory was going to be. This is interesting, though, because there's some geography that you can't really see in this picture that's important to this story. So if you show me the next picture there, this is a Google Earth picture today of Mount Gerizim on the left and Mount uh, Ebal on the right. And it's distorted to get it all in the picture. But you can, can you kind of get the, the, the idea? It feels kind of like, um, quote, uh, uh, like uh, what, what do we call these things? Parentheses? Like, like on one side and on the other side. If you show the next picture here, this is actually a three-day image. You kind of get the same idea here. And so what happens here is they're supposed to go to these mountains, and half of them go up the one side of the mountain, and they stand and they face the other side of the mountain. And the other half gets up here, and they stand, and they face the other direction, and they go through this ritual of blessings and curses, and they chant it basically back and forth to each other. And there's this huge natural amphitheater here 
And they could actually talk back and forth. And the Levites stood in the middle. Some of the Levites stood in the middle with, with the Ark of the Covenant. And they would read these things. And the people would respond on one side or the other. Kind of a crazy story of what's going on here. It says this in verse number 14. The Levites shall recite to all the people in Israel with a loud voice. Cursed is anyone who makes an idol. A thing detestable to the Lord. The work of skilled hands and sets it up in secret. And all the people, and we're assuming all the people who were standing on evil, were to say, Amen. And so Mo, or excuse me, Joshua with the Levites would, would read this statement, and the people would say, Amen. And Amen is just a word that means so be it. It was actually a verbal commitment to say, this is the rule, we're going to follow it. It's like signing on the dotted line with your voice instead of with your signature. Or it's like an I do. And so we're going to do that this morning here. We're going to pretend like you're on Ebal, all of you, on the mountain there, and we're facing off to all the people that are on Gerizim. But it reads this way. It says, um, cursed, I'm in verse number 16, cursed is anyone who dishonors their father or mother. Then all the people shall say, amen. amen. Cursed is anyone who moves their neighbor's boundary stone. And all the people shall say, Cursed is anyone who leads the blind astray on the road. And all the people say, you're becoming less and less convinced as you go, folks. Do you have a problem with this command? It's not mine. Verse number 19, cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the forgiver, or for, excuse me, from the foreigner, and the fatherless, or the widow. And all the people said, Amen. And he goes on and on. It gets really specific here about some, some sexual sins. And the, the whole idea here is to, to separate them from the, the people that they were going to be living among. But he gets down to verse number 26, and he kind of summarizes it all. And he says, Cursed is anyone who does not uphold the words of this law by carrying them out. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Amen. And so we see the instructions of what's supposed to happen. It hasn't happened yet. Still in Deuteronomy, but you see the instructions of what's supposed to happen. And then they turn around, and then there's blessings. Now, they're not listed the same way, but they show up in chapter 28. If you keep reading, the blessings, God says this, if you fully, Moses is speaking for God, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord will set you high above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. And he goes through here and listen to these. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed, and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. I love this next one. You will be blessed when you come in and when you go out. And you can hear all the people now on Gerizim say, Amen. This is going to be a cool thing, and God's giving all the details of this ceremony that's not yet taken place, but is going to. And you can read through the rest of this chapter. But Moses is explaining, and Joshua is the one who's going to be leading the people, and it gets a little confusing where Moses is and where Joshua is here. But it's this entire ritual, ceremony, that's about to take place. And so we get to, to uh, Joshua chapter 8, and we actually get the story of what's going on here. So if you turn with me to Joshua chapter 8, let's see how this plays out. 
Verse number 30 is where we're going to be reading. Joshua chapter 8, verse number 30. Then Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord. Then is following the conquest of Jericho. Then is following the conquest of Ai. Then is after they've taken this 25, 30-mile march up to these two mountains. Then Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites. He built it according to what was written in the book of the Law of Moses, which we've just been reading. An altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool had been used. On it they offered the Lord the burnt offerings and the sacrifice, and they sacrificed the fellowship offerings, just as like they had been instructed. There in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua wrote on the stones a copy of the Law of Moses. And all the Israelites, with their elders, officials, and judges, were standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, facing the Levitical priests who carried it. Both the foreigners living among them and the native-born were there. Half the people stood in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal in that natural amphitheater there. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had formally commanded when he gave instructions to bless the people of Israel. And afterward, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as they had been written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the men, women and the children, the foreigners who lived among them. And so it happens. And I read the happening of it, and it's like really anticlimactic to me. Like, you know, when you read Moses saying, here's what you're going to do, and we were all rehearsing and practicing there, it's like, yes! And then you read this, it's like, uh, and it's kind of recorded here, and then they went and did this thing, and it's good. And I think, we just kind of read right past it, in fact, I've been going to church now for several years. I was going to tell you how many, I decided not to. But uh, I've been going to church for a long time. I don't think I've ever heard anybody talk on this story before. In fact, I'm reading this week, I'm like, I'm sure I've read this story before, but it never clicked with me. This is like a huge, huge, huge moment in the life of God's people. It's where they walk into this land that God says, I'm going to give it to you. And they say, okay, that command, or that, that covenant thing, rather, that covenant thing we've been talking about, the people are like, okay, we're in, God. Count on us. Now, they didn't do great with it, but that was their heart, and that was their demonstration. And this is a little bit of, like, the marriage ceremony of God and his people when they come into the promised land. And it's this huge religious moment that takes the day. Now, yesterday I had the privilege of, of doing a wedding for David and Teresa. David and Teresa would come to church uh, for a little while here. Maybe some of you got to know them. And we had a, a wedding, outdoor wedding yesterday, and we looked at the skies like, uh-oh, are we in trouble here? That's not being perfect. But it's where David and Teresa come together in, in just this incredible ceremony. And it was, it was so joyful, too. And, and it was so great to be a part of that. But this is what's going on here as an idea where God and his people are coming together in this moment. And it's a, this very liturgical moment. You can see them going through the paces. You can actually like envision the, the tribes going up and stationing themselves on the mountain there. And you can see the Ark of the Covenant coming in there. And you can see the, the Levites who are serving the covenant at that time, uh, the Ark at that time, doing this in this very liturgical moment. It's very visual. 
And they're standing and they're, they're facing off to each other. And in that moment of facing off with each other, they're seeing that they're being presented with the difference between disobeying and obeying, between a, a curse and a blessing, actually between good and evil. And it's incredibly interactive. And we participated even here this morning. And so this is this huge moment that comes. We just took a lot of time to walk through sometimes what is an obscure story that maybe shouldn't be. But what does it teach us then about success? Let me give us five things that come out of this story that give us an idea of what success should look like. Because this is the ceremony where God is really saying to the people, I want to bless you. I want you to be successful. The first thing is this. Any success that we experience in life is ultimately based on God's blessing. I pointed out a couple times as we read through that passage where Moses said, the land is quoting God, but the land that I am giving you, that shows up 35 times in the book of Deuteronomy. God's making a huge point. And in case they missed it, he makes it again. In case they missed it, he makes it again and again and again and again. I am giving you this land. Your parents actually messed up because they thought they had to do it. I'm giving it to you. But any success that we enjoy in our lives is because God gives us that success. They'd already experienced it at Jericho. They'd already experienced it at Ai. And it's a reminder to us that we are not the source of our own successes. And we can work hard and we can be focused and we can be purposeful and we can have good goals and we can chase after them. But if you achieve them, it's because God blessed you. And that's a reminder to us to always be humble. And it's a reminder to us that our achievements and what we chase after is not ultimately about ourselves. It's about God and his work in you. It's a great reminder that we're not all that. That God just decides to bless us. And we see this sometimes in our world, and we don't always understand it. But two people will work just as hard, and one, like, succeeds more than the other. I don't get it. But ultimately, it comes down to this idea that God chooses how it works out there. And so we can be reminded to be humble, but we can also be reminded to, to relax a little bit, too. Like, all of life does not depend on how hard we work. In fact, that's never God's intention to see how hard we can work. He wants us to be diligent. He wants us to, you know, subdue the earth. But he doesn't want us to exhaust ourselves. He rested on the seventh day, and that was a statement to us. So don't ever lose your gratitude. Don't ever lose your humility. Don't ever lose your faith, because any success is ultimately dependent upon God's blessing. Secondly, your personal success hinges on your obedience to God's word. Your personal success ultimately hinges on your obedience to God's word. And I love this story because they put God's commands on these huge stones there so that the people can see them, so they can be reminded, we need to follow what God says here. Now, it's interesting about those commands in Deuteronomy 30, 11, This is a verse that I think is fascinating. Moses is talking to the people. He says, now, what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. That's an exact quote. What I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. God's commands are doable. And John, in, in the New Testament, he tells us this is love for God to obey his commands. 
and his commands are not burdensome or weighty. They don't weigh you down. They actually lighten, lighten your burden, make your load lighter. So his commands are doable, they're beneficial, but they're also relational. God's commands are a reflection of our relationship with God. But the reflection in our relationship with God because we obey God's commands, not so that he will bless us, but because he has blessed us. And that seems like a minor detail, but it's a huge detail, and we don't have time to, to go into all of that today. But if you reverse those, you end up in a very performance legalistic mindset in your faith and in your Christianity. And you'll live your life saying, okay, i got to make God happy with me so, I, so he can bless me, and so i got to do all these different things. And we have our list there, and, and as long as we're keeping our list, God blesses us. And then we don't get the blessing that we're hoping for, and we wonder what we did wrong. Because we got the whole thing backwards. It actually works this way. God blesses us. God loves us. And God, in the process of that, gives us some commands as live in these. And if you'll live in these, your life will go well. But it's all in response to what God has already done. And so I think sometimes we think of this idea of, you know, well, I have to walk the... the the, the obedience brings a blessing. I have to walk this path, and if, if I step out of this path, I'm going to get, you know, slapped down by God. I think it might be a better picture to, to, to see it as a stream. And, and we're floating down the stream of God's blessings. And sometimes we're foolish enough that we turn around and we want to do it our way, and we try to swim upstream. Or sometimes we, we climb out and we, and we get out of that stream. But God is giving us those blessings, and we respond in love. And that's why we obey. Obedience is the ultimate expression of love. It's a definitive statement of trust. When I obey God's commands, what am I saying? God, I trust you enough to believe that if I follow this, you're not going to mess me up. This will be okay. And obedience is also the necessary evidence of commitment or consecration which is where we started the service today. So if we're going to be successful, we need to start with God's word and then line things up from there. Number three, real success requires a prioritizing of the spiritual. I love this. In fact, uh, instead of going on into another battle, they're on, a, they're on a roll. You know, they've won at Jericho. They've won at AI. You know, they've got some momentum going here. They just stop all the military stuff, take a 30-mile hike and say, let's do the spiritual stuff. But it's a great reminder to us that ultimate success is always going to be spiritual in nature. If at the end of your life, the things that you trot out to say, here's proof of my success, my trophies, my awards, my titles, my whatever experiences, if they're absent, the spiritual, you've got nothing to show. And this is a reminder to these people, hey, God's saying, you're going to have success. You're going to take this land, but this is all about our relationship first. And ultimate success always has to involve the spiritual. And so as you look at the goals and the things that you're pursuing in life, I want to be successful in this way. Where does the spiritual fit into that? Where is this part of what God wants for you? Where is this part of what you even want in your relationship and your worship of God? The spiritual always is a part of what we would call real success. Number four, the foundation of success 
is formed by the commitments that you make and keep and come back to. This was a moment of commitment. And for all of us, we face these times in life where we have a moment of commitment. The times like the wedding yesterday when Dave and Teresa make a commitment to each other and make a commitment to God that, that we are coming together in this marriage. But it's the same thing for us where we make a commitment before God. Or maybe it's those moments when we just sit in a, a morning like this and God's spirit really speaks into our heart and we're convicted about something and say, okay, God, this is what's going to, to change in my life or, or this is what is going to be different here. And we make those commitments. Those commitments still hold. Now, we may drift away from them, but we need to come back to those commitments because the commitments that we make and that we keep and that we come back to are ultimately going to be the measure of our success. They're the values that we hold. Those are the goals that we pursue. It's the dreams that we have, and we keep coming back to them. Success is way more about your commitments than it is about your achievements. What have you committed to? Do you need to come back to them? What commitments do you need to make? Those will be the seeds bed, the foundation of your success. And then lastly here this morning, sustains, sustained success requires that you lead hard into grace. There's something that I mentioned here earlier, and we walked right past it, and I want to bring you back to it because it's so, so, so important to the story. When they got to the mountains, they did three things. The first thing they did was put the stones up. The second thing that they did was what? Build an altar. But where did they build the altar? They built it on Ebal, which was the mountain of cursing. It seems like, you know, the place where we want to put that is on the mountain of blessing. This is the mountain of good, God, obedience, all this stuff. No, God said, put it over here on Ebal, the mountain of cursing, the mountain of sin, the mountain of failure, because that's where you're going to need an altar. And if we're going to be successful, ultimately, we're going to have to learn, lean into grace. And grace is where we realize that that sacrifice that's put on that altar is for our sins. It's for our failures. And the sacrifice of the Old Testament was, was the lamb or, or the different animals that they offered. The sacrifice of the New Testament was who? It was Jesus Christ. And this is a foreshadowing, again, of Jesus Christ. But he's on the altar of the cross so that we can have forgiveness when we fall off the mountain of Gerizim and find ourselves on the mountain of evil. We can look and say, oh, good, there's an altar here. And we find salvation in Jesus Christ originally, but we keep coming back to this altar. And we talked about this blessing and the curse, but we don't have to worry about living under the curse. Because the curse was placed on Jesus Christ. And on that altar of the cross, on the Ebel, as it were. And so Ebel was the mountain of failure. There was those commandments posted at the bottom that reminded them of that all the time. But it was also the mountain of forgiveness. And success isn't so much about how well you do. Success may be about how forgiven you are. 
And if we're going to live successful lives, we're going to be discouraged by our defeats and our failures and our shortcomings. But we can keep coming back to this grace. We must be people aware of our need for grace. So the title of this message, if you're following along on the outline, we put it out there. It's Gerizim, the mountain of blessing. But this is really a story of two mountains, Gerizim and Ebal. And they're the mountains of choice. And God chose, I believe, God chose these mountains because the Israelites always were going to be walking around and looking up and saying, oh, there's Gerizim. Oh, there's Ebal. Oh, remember that day? When we all got on the mountain and shouted these amens back and forth to each other. And they would be continually reminded of the fact that God wants to bless us. But if we're not careful, we we can get on this other mountain here. And so we ourselves come to the mountain this morning and face a choice. We can obey or we can disobey. We can choose blessing or we can choose cursing. We can choose to prioritize God or we can choose some lesser thing. We can choose good or we can choose evil and there's really no middle ground. We can choose grace or we can choose to live in our own self-righteousness. We can choose then success or failure. We can choose Gerizim or we can choose Ebal. Success really isn't about climbing the mountain. It's about climbing the right mountain. Let's pray. God, this incredible story here of you and how you want to bless us. And of us and how we mess that up so many times because we're off doing our own things and we're disobeying and we're just pursuing our own agendas. God, forgive us. But God, I pray that you take us back to Gerizim today to see you as the God who wants to bless. But I also pray that you take us back to Ebal today to see you as a God who offered your only son, Jesus, so we could have forgiveness. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed here. Just a private moment between you and God. Have you been to Ebal? To take your sin to God and say, I've failed and I'm not good enough, but I believe Jesus died for me in my place, became my sacrifice and my substitute. You can go there today and invite Jesus Christ into your life, ask for that forgiveness. Just a simple prayer between you and God where you sit today. If questions about it, I'd love to connect with you afterwards. But maybe you've already been to Ebel, and maybe you're looking at Gerizim, the mountain of blessing, the mountain of success, the mountain where God's saying, I want to give you good things. Or maybe think through some of those commitments that you've made. Do you need to go back to those? Maybe you need to Put the spiritual in your story. Make that as your goal. Maybe you need to just see the, the differentiation between good and evil again. What's the decision, the choice, the commitment that you need to make today? God, thank you for these mountains. I pray that you would help us to find grace on evil and blessing on garrison. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning?